We're going to wrap up a short series of three lessons that uh, started on the factual basis of the resurrection of Christ, that then transitioned to addressing the challenges against the resurrection of Christ, and then today we'll look at exactly what the resurrected body looks like. Uh, there is no official Easter service in Scripture. We honor the Lord's death and also His resurrection every first day of the week. So we can have lessons at any time on the importance of the resurrection. Let me first by saying this. We have trouble with death in our culture. We don't have trouble with fake death. Uh, the movies, Hollywood, they have fake death all over the place. Netflix, every show something about someone being killed. Uh, we love fake death. But we have a hard time with real death. Uh, growing up, uh, it was common as a little boy to be taken to a service where there was an open casket. And every once in a while, I was led to walk by it. And that was a big moment because that was someone maybe I knew. And to see them looking in a way kind of like I remember them, but clearly not the same. That was a moving moment, not traumatizing, but it was clearly a moment because I think we understand that re what real death looks like and what fake death looks like on TV. Um, but we rarely have... Yes, yeah. But we rarely see open casket services anymore. Uh, we rarely even have the casket closed at the service. We've even changed many of the services to more celebrations of life, and there's nothing wrong with that. It is troubling to come to terms with death and the reality of our own mortality and especially what will happen to us physically and that's why I think dressing up the body uh, to where they look their best to hide what clearly was someone who had, whose spirit had flown uh, but yet the remains were still there. Uh, we want to escape that reality because it's very uncomfortable. And that's the way it's presented in Scripture. Uh, you see the resurrection of Lazarus before he was raised. Uh, there was mourning, there was sorrow, there was weeping over Lazarus' death. Uh, Martha did not even want Jesus to go near the tomb because he'd been in there four days. And she simply said, there's a foul odor uh, there and now. And she did not understand what Jesus was about to do with her brother. Uh, so we are, we are troubled by death, but because of that, we need to embrace the resurrection. That is the new body that God has promised us. And we'll look at uh, that new body today specifically to see exactly what is this new form that we're going to have so that we're not fearful of it or so we're not blasé towards it. I think the biggest challenge of us as believers today is our number one concern, we don't want to go to hell. And anything other than that, we're fine with. But that's not the way Scripture presents it. Scripture always wants God's people to embrace their heavenly home, as these songs address, and to embrace this new body where we look forward to it. We're not all wrapped up in this body and this life because our greatest things are to come. So I hope this morning to go that direction. But here's the people, though, who are most interested in a resurrected body. First of all, those who've seen a dead body. Someone who is an emergency responder, someone that works in a hospital, those that work in a funeral home, or a place where dead bodies are dealt with, they would be very interested in what a resurrected body would look like because they see dead bodies all the time. And to try to see that body come back to life, considering the form they saw it in, 
when it died, that's a big jump. Another group that are interested greatly in a resurrected body are those with a disabled, disfigured, or an impaired body. Those who've been born with a birth defect, as we call them, or those who've been injured in an accident, especially one going back to youth, their youth. And they've lived all their life with something that maybe is quite visible to others, and they've had to hide that, or they've lived with something that affects the way they move, the way their legs work, or their arms work, or the way their mind thinks. They are highly in tune to what the resurrected body will look like. Also, those who are considering cremation at times will wonder if they're of a spiritual mind, is it right for me to be cremated or especially to have my ashes spread somewhere? Will God be able to resurrect my body if it's been disseminated in such a way that happens at cremation? Those who have been ravaged by the effect of aging are also concerned greatly by the resurrected body. Uh, those who are up in years want that new body because they live every day with the fact that their present body is showing not only visibly in the mirror the signs of aging, but they feel it every day and every moment. Something is wrong. There's a hospital visit or a doctor's visit that needs to be made because it's a struggle as our years go on to function the way we used to. But there's a secondary concern by those who are aging well, when I'm resurrected, is it just the same body coming back to life the way it looks like now? There are many people that don't want to continue on in the same body that they see in the mirror. And they wonder, am I just going to be brought back to life to continue on at 80 or 90 years old? And, and maybe they think, well, that's not that bad, but if that's the mindset, you're not that excited about the resurrected body if you think it's some kind of a continuance of what you see now. Another group that would be interested in the resurrected body is those who don't like their present body. Don't underestimate this in this culture. In the teenage culture, there's a great degree of unsettledness concerning their body to where some think, well, maybe I'm born with a, the wrong body, and they think they're in another gender, and they try switching genders because they're so trouble, uh, struggling, uh, or they're so much struggling at the time about their present body, and they don't feel like they look uh, like they should look, and they don't like the mirror at all, and all the social media apps don't make that any easier. There's some that wish they looked entirely different, and they can be very captivated by the of a resurrection. Because they don't like the way they look now. And it's sad that someone doesn't like the way they look now. It's awfully sad. But yet still, it instills a sense of interest in what they could look like in the future. In just a moment, we're going to look at what Scripture says about this resurrected body. But just three brief reminders about what we are as human beings. First of all, we're both soul and spirit. I should, actually, I made a mistake there. We are soul and spirit. Those words are used interchangeably, but we're also physical flesh. We're both soul and body. When we die, our soul goes on to be with God. Ecclesiastes 12 teaches that, that our body returns to the dust of the ground, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So we're, we have a dual nature as human beings, body and soul, or you'd say spirit. Uh, so that spirit goes on to be with God when we die. So the remains uh, that are left are just that, the remains. Uh, Peter, 
uh, calls our physical body a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place for our soul, but our soul goes on to be with God to wait until the day that Christ returns and the resurrection where our soul will be reunited with our body, but not the same body, a brand new body. And this resurrection again happens when Christ returns. Uh, Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that happens, and also it's alluded to in 1 Corinthians 15 that we'll look at today. And it is believers that are promised a resurrected body. Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, this is of utmost or first importance, that is the resurrection from the dead. And all the texts of Scripture that point to a, a positive experience with the resurrection point to those who have put their faith and trust in God as receiving it. Some wonder, well, what about non-believers? Will they be caught up and have a brand new resurrected body and everything will be just all right with them? Those who have rejected God in their life, there is no hope of this new resurrected body to live with God forever. Jesus talks about in John a resurrection of the just and the unjust. But all of Scripture's emphasis is upon the just those who have been made right through Jesus Christ, or even those who have lived for God before Jesus, those are the ones that will experience this brand new resurrected body. But apparently those who have rejected God will experience some kind of resurrection for the alternate existence of living with God forever. Which is a horrific thought. That they'll be raised back, but yet for a completely different existence most awful magnitude. Scripture focuses upon what believers will experience of a positive nature when they're given their brand new body. So let's look at this new body that God promises to us. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, most of our time will be spent there. We'll look at some other texts as well to try to put together the pieces of Scripture that all point towards what this new body will be like so that we'll embrace the new body. And we'll look forward to all that God has planned for us and not simply try to stretch out this life. Instead, we'll always be looking forward to the new life. Scripture teaches five features of the resurrection or the resurrected body. There's five features that stand out. I'm going to pick up reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we'll look at verse 35 first and then we'll focus upon the first two features in 38 through 44. First of all, the importance of 1 Corinthians 15. The entire chapter to the Corinthian church in the first century is devoted to the resurrection, either establishing its historical credibility or looking at the fact that it is possible to be resurrected. Because some in the first century, even within the Corinthian church, were denying the idea that someone could be resurrected. That the group of the Jews called the Sadducees, they just denied a resurrection altogether. And Jesus challenged them about the incorrectness of this understanding. So early Christians struggle with the idea, just like we struggle and kind of avoid death or we avoid real dead bodies. We're uncomfortable with it. And we don't think anything will ever be different at times. We have a hard time imagining how this body could come back to life in a good way. So Paul deals with that and specifically in this chapter, with what the body will look like, the best we can come to terms with, the wonder or the splendor that God has planned for us. 
Let's begin with verse 35, and we'll go through verse 42. What I want to notice first, that whatever the resurrection will entail, it's going to involve a body. Scripture does not entertain the idea that we'll just be floating as ghosts in the air, or spirit beings that are all white and kind of a, a whimsical, misty figure with a face maybe, just kind of floating around like you might see on Halloween in a cartoon or something like that. The resurrection body will be a real body. Let's see how Paul gives that foundational truth, starting with verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15. He says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Perhaps of wheat or of something else. Verse 38 now. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. All flesh is not the same. Human beings have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Verse 40 now. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. We'll just stop here. Notice the repetition of the word body in this reading. Paul wants to make sure that these struggling believers know that they're going to have a body. That they're not going to be a ghost. In fact, Jesus makes the point as he was appearing to his disciples after his resurrection that what they were seeing is a real body. And he goes, because they thought it might be a ghost. And remember when Peter had been imprisoned, he, he comes to the door in Acts chapter 12, and um, the young girl comes to the door, she sees Peter, she runs back to the church praying for Peter, and she says, hey, I'm seeing Peter. And she goes, no, no, you're seeing a ghost. In the first century, they believed in ghosts. So Jesus makes a point to tell his disciples, a, bo- a ghost does not have flesh like you're seeing. And Scripture highlights the fact that we're going to have a real body. It's going to be different than our present body in some ways, in very powerful ways. But it's going to be a body. It's not going to be some disembodied spirit floating through the sky all the time. It's going to be a body. And he talks about how there's different bodies on this planet. There's bodies of birds, bodies of animals. Then he talks about there's heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, and stars. And then there's earthly bodies. He's talking about all these different kind of bodies... And he breaks the main point is that the body that we're going to have in heaven is going to be a different body than what we have now, but it's going to maintain a lot of the same features, as we'll see in just a moment. But you're going to have a body, even though your present body, unless Christ returns first, will go into the grave and be buried or be cremated. You're going to have a brand new body, something real for your soul to inhabit. Second of all, the second feature of this resurrected body 
is going to be that it's a body of glory, honor, and power. Verse 42 through 42 now. Verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I want to notice here in verses 42 through 44 the importance of what's being said about this resurrected body. First of all, he says, the body that is sown, that is the body that's put in the ground or the body that's cremated, either one, he says it's perishable. That's why the Apostle Peter calls in 1 Peter this present body a tent. It's simply a temporary dwelling. That's why the average lifespan of human beings is 70 to 80 years old. Many are granted far more years. Some have less. But this is a perishable body. But he says this new body will be imperishable. But not just that it will live forever, but it's going to be a body of glory and a body of power and a body of honor. He says it was sown in dishonor. That is, the, the body that was put in the grave, it did not look too good. That's why bodies need to be dressed up. A dead body simply does not look good. And it doesn't even look right, despite what a mortuary service will do. You can tell the difference. But he says it's sown in dishonor too, but raised in glory. Sometimes those who are buried are those, as I said earlier, who have suffered birth defects. Or they've been scarred by accident. Or injured in some way where they spend a lot of their life just trying to hide their presence from other people. Or they've had to get around all their life with the use of some type of assistive device because their body just doesn't work right. And that would be the equivalent of Paul saying it's sown in weakness or they're buried in that state. They live their whole life and end up uh, dying and being buried with this body they've struggled with all their life rather than having enjoyed. Paul says even though that body is sown in weakness, it's raised in what? Verse 43. It's raised in power. So all the weaknesses and all the things uh, that you couldn't do, all the limitations are reversed with the resurrected body. And that means the world to someone who, who's only known a body that doesn't look right or doesn't work right. They're going to have this new body. It's raised in power. No defects. No appearance problems. And also the idea of this body is going to be raised in glory. This eliminates the idea, I believe, of us just carrying on our aged body into eternity. I believe this eliminates the idea of simply our aged body. If we're blessed to live as long as 80 or 90 years old, we struggle. Are we just going to continue with that body in the resurrection? I believe this scripture points to no. It's going to be this glorious, beautiful body. 
And the best way I can describe it, it's simply going to be the best version of ourself, whatever that is. Whether physical defects will be restructured and eliminated or aging will be reversed, whatever form that God knows is the best for us, we're going to have. For those who have lost a child in infancy, they wonder, will, will my child come back as an infant? We don't know all those details. I doubt it. Because in heaven, Scripture describes our bodies as being relatable. Relatable, that is, people with Jesus' resurrected body, they could hug Him, they could embrace Him, they could see Him. And I think the form of all those who are resurrected will be something where others can relate to it on an adult level. A best version of ourselves. Again, sown perishable, raised imperishable, raised uh, in glory, despite being sown in dishonor, uh, despite being sown in weakness or defect, raised in power. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And that's the heart of this new existence. We're going to have this spiritual body that has none of the negative things of our present body and all the new realities of a resurrected body, but yet sharing some of the features of the body that we hold now. We're going to see that in just a moment. Let's see the next three. Our body is going to be a different changed body. Verse 44 now. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life-giving being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, a life-giving spirit. Verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man, that's our new existence, is of heaven. Verse 48, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, that is our presence now, he says in verse 49, we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, Initially, we'll just pause here. That sounds a little vague. We're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. Well, this is our new existence, our new person's image. It's this heavenly person. And by heavenly, it doesn't mean like, like flightful and, oh, heavenly. Oh, it's just heavenly. But the idea of it's a different existence. And a body designed for an entirely different existence than our human body. Our human body that we have now is designed for this earth. To live on it, to enjoy it, to take in oxygen. Um, it's designed for this place, but it's still a tent. Because God did not intend for us to live here forever. He intends for us to live with Him forever, so this new body where He is will be suited for that different environment and existence. When you're resurrected, you're not going to have the same body you died with. Which is not the best version of itself. We will have this brand new body. Fourth, it's going to be an imperishable body. 
Verse 50 now. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood, that's what we have now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. Verse 53, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Highlighted in this section of Scripture is the fact that our body is going to be imperishable. So it's going to be brand new, not possessing any of the problems or defects of our human body, or the temporal nature. This new body is going to be imperishable. It's not going to be subject to age. It's not going to be subject to weathering. It's not going to be subject to injury or disease or anything our present body today has to deal with. But number one, it's not going to be subject to aging. Whatever this perfect new heavenly body is, in appearance and in structure that God will give us in the resurrection, it will be designed to last forever with God. We struggle with that because we live year by year. We live based on a calendar. We live based on decades. We go to our 40s, our 50s, our 60s, and, and 70s and 80s. We're, we're very structured in the way we think about our lives. So having immortality is very difficult to get our our minds around, and that probably will always be the case. It's hard to imagine immortality. But here, Paul says, by the inspiration of God, that this new body will be designed to last forever. No more death, decay, anything that we're subject to now that's negative. And we just have to appreciate that. But those that appreciate that the most are those that deal every morning with trying to get their body to catch up and go with where their mind is and have to deal with constant doctor's appointments and medications and surgeries to try to keep the present body going and then still do with, deal with aging all the time. Here, this new body will have none of that. Well, the last one is the most fascinating one, the fifth. We still want to know what it's going to look like. But what's this new body going to do? We understand it's going to be different, it's going to be changed, it's going to be imperishable. But let's see what Scripture says about it, because it says surprisingly a lot. First of all, this is the foundational thought. If you go back to verse 49, the very end of verse 49 says, we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Well, the heavenly man that's alluded to here is none other than Jesus himself. He was resurrected lived on the earth for 40 days with that resurrected body, then he was raised to the right hand of the Father. 
as Paul teaches in Ephesians, and that's where he is now, waiting for the time that the Father instructs him to return. But Scripture says we're going to bear that image. We're going to have his image. Let me look to a couple other places that confirm this. First of all, Philippians chapter 3. You need to kind of listen along as I read it, but Philippians 3.21, or if you want to turn there. Whenever we see consistent passages in different places point to a truth, we can camp out there. We can know that this is a solid truth. Philippians 3, verse 21. Starting in verse 20, Paul tells the Philippians, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies, what we have now, so that they will be what? Like his glorious body. So here twice we're told that whatever this new body looks like, it's going to be just like the body of Jesus Christ. That's good news. It could not be any better if it's going to look like Jesus' own body and possess the same nature. Paul tells the Corinthians that. He tells the Philippians that. Look over in 1 John now, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 beginning. 1 John 3, verse 2. Look what John, another apostle, says about this body. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Just pause here. What exactly this body is going to be like in very specific nature, he says it hasn't been made known yet. We don't know. We're going to have to wait. But he says next, but we know, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So now we have at least three places, two separate apostles saying, our appearance is going to be just like that of Jesus. Our body will be the same as his heavenly body that he was resurrected with, that he took up into heaven. There's no evidence that he changed his nature once he was uh, taken up uh, in Acts chapter 1 to be with the Father till his return. So we can kind of look back. What was this body like during those 40 days that he was on the earth? Because that is what our body is going to be like. Look over in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, and then we'll look at John, and then we'll be finished. In the Gospels, there's a great effort to show that Jesus' resurrected body was a real body and not just some ghost. But there's a lot of details given about what that real body did. Uh, John chapter 19. I'm sorry, not John, but uh, Luke chapter 24, and then John 19. Look at these details. Verse 33, beginning. Or verse 13, I'm sorry. It says, now on the same day, two of them were going, this is after Jesus was resurrected, they were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Let's just pause here. 
Here, Jesus' resurrected body, first of all, it walked, which means it seems to have the same appearance and form as the previous body he had. He was able to talk with these two disciples. So he could communicate in a language. He could walk as his previous body did. So here is our first glimpse to our resurrected body. It's going to look a lot like our present body, except be the best version. We're going to be able to communicate with others. He communicated with others. Uh, verse 27, just skipping down. As in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's Jesus, he explained to them, that's Jesus, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So here is Jesus is not only communicating, he's articulating, explaining the nature of how uh, the prophets referred to him. So there's the degree of reasoning. We're not just going to be floating around and just saying incantations and things like that. We can, we can communicate with those uh, who are with us in heaven. We can share thoughts because that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Verse 31 says, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. And then He disappeared from their sight. At first, Jesus doesn't want to allow them to recognize Him, so they don't. But then it says, verse 31, that they did recognize Him. He looked like he looked previously, which again gives us insight into our resurrected body. Others will recognize us in heaven. But notice he also disappeared from their sight. Just disappeared. And here we get insight into that heavenly body. That it can appear, but then it can go to another place quite quickly. That's amazing to think about. Verse 36, when he appears to his disciples... Says uh, they were all still talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Remember? They thought ghosts are real. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see. And when they said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. What does this tell us about our resurrected body? If we're told that we're going to be as he is, that our body is going to be off like the present body. I'm not going to try to speculate on details beyond what Scripture gives us, but that's the picture. It's going to look like our present body, but not have any of the limitations, not have any of the problems. In fact, it may even have supernatural powers if Jesus appeared and then he disappeared. Let's look at John and then we finished. John 19. Again, these are scenes where Jesus' resurrected body is described. Look at what happened when he appeared to the disciples on another occasion. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Just pause here. John makes it a point to say the doors were locked. No one let him in, but yet Jesus right there. So he's not limited by a door being locked, which means he just goes right through. But notice how he appears. 
Verse 20, after he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So they recognized him. He still had physical features, but yet he just went right through the door to be with them. Verse 25, so the other disciples said, we have seen the Lord. He wasn't someone they didn't recognize. It happens again, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Twice we're told, the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to my Lord, my God. Then Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Both Luke and John make the point to describe that Jesus could be seen, recognized, hands, feet, he stood among them, he talked, he even ate breakfast. Do you have anything to eat? He asked. But he also went right through the doors without having someone to unlock it. That's a glimpse of our supernatural body, I believe. We don't know any more details. John told us we don't know exactly, but we're going to be like he is, and this is how he was. So this is what I'm basing my hope on. A brand new, glorious, supernatural body with powers we can't even fully fathom. And by the way, parents or anyone that deals with young people, they are interested in superheroes. And they see movies all the time of people that can do supernatural things, point them to our Savior and what Jesus could do and that one day they will be like this. Let them be enthralled by Christianity and what, what is going to happen in the future. The greatest things are yet to come. But this is our resurrected body. Look forward to these things. Think about it, especially as you deal with things now that are unpleasant, difficult, or painful. Tell yourself one day these things will all be gone. Or when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, say, one day I'm going to have the best version of myself. And only God knows what that best version is. And you might not have seen it yet. But it's going to look a lot like you or other people in heaven will recognize you. They'll communicate with you. They'll interact with you. All the best things about our present existence will be there. But the worst things of our temporal body will be absent. And the best of both worlds will be combined together in heaven for eternity with God. That's why we're here today. We're celebrating what God has done for us through His Son. Died for our sins, cleared the way with our biggest problem. Dealt with our sin problem, and now He's dealt with our death problem. So we don't have to fear death because we're just going to drop out of existence and have no future our greatest things are still coming. And that's why the old hymns say there's a great day coming. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Victory in Jesus. Everything that's bad has been beaten down by Jesus. And we await wonderful things. We're going to sing a song now to encourage us to connect our life with these truths. John said in 1 John 3, verse 3, right after he said, we don't know exactly what we're going to be like, but we know we're going to 
see him as he is, and we're going to be like that. He says, and whoever has this hope purifies himself. Whoever has this hope, which you and I have, we purify ourselves. We don't keep living the same old reckless lifestyle. We don't maintain the same bad attitudes that we came to Christ with. Our life is a constant process of improvement. We're always under construction. There's always road signs around to say, God's at work here. And that goes with us till the day we die. We never cease trying to be a better person tomorrow than what we were today. And we always are shaping ourselves into the image of Jesus. Whoever has this hope, John said, purifies himself. Don't take this for granted. Keep working on the things you struggle with. Keep fighting the battles that God knows you're fighting. And it'll be worth it. Paul said in the end of 1 Corinthians 15, after he talked in 57 verses about the resurrection, he said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your faith is not in vain. Every moment matters. Every effort battling sin is worth it. Because one day Jesus will return and take us home. We want to be prepared and ready for that great day.